Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to continue with our discussion of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God. We've been pointing out in this series of programs that Jesus was a Jew who must be studied in his first century Jewish-Palestinian environment. The faith of Jesus Christ, the faith which he propagated, the gospel which he preached as the saving gospel, that's to say the gospel about the kingdom of God, is itself a Jewish idea based on the prophets of Israel. The kingdom of God is the great hope for the world, as well as being the national hope of the Jewish people. I'm sure you remember that Jesus himself said that salvation is from the Jews. It's by coming in line with the greatest of all Jews, the Messiah of Israel, Jesus Christ, that we can hope to attain to the kingdom of God and salvation in that future kingdom when Jesus returns. Do you remember also Paul's famous words in Galatians 3.29? He said, if you are Christ, that's to say if you're Christians, then you are reckoned as Abraham's seed and you become heirs of the promise. And the promise, you know, to Abraham was that he would be heir of the world, Romans 4, verse 13. A Christian then is one who has become part of the seed of Abraham. And the promised seed of Abraham was indeed Jesus Christ. That was a singular seed, Paul said in the book of Galatians. Not plural, but one seed. The point, however, is that that seed is a corporate figure. Jesus shares his inheritance of the land promised to Abraham and to the seed who is Christ, Jesus shares that inheritance with all those who belong to him. The body of Christ is a corporate figure. We belong to Christ and we are Abraham's seed at the same time and we become heirs of the world according to the promise made to Abraham. Romans 4.13 and Galatians 3.29 It's an important fact to note that in Galatians 3.19 Paul said that the inheritance was due to the promised seed of Abraham, that is Christ. We also become part of that seed as we become joined to Jesus by baptism, by repentance, by regeneration, that's to say by being born again. And how does that happen? By being put in contact with the saving message of Jesus, the message of the kingdom. All the apostles speak of the rebirth process as happening by contact with the saving word. The word or the seed of the kingdom has that spark of life in it which confers the germ of immortality upon us and prepares us for our destiny to be rulers with Christ in that coming kingdom of God on the earth. There is a single plot, a single scheme underlining the whole of biblical revelation. It's based on the covenant made with Abraham, which according to Paul, Jesus came to confirm now, the story of Abraham is, of course, the story of a man who received magnificent promises from God. He was going to have a distinguished seed or offspring, and he was going to own the land forever. The land, you'll note, was given to Abraham personally as a promise. He never inherited that land. He died, in fact, without inheriting the promises. You'll find that plainly stated in Hebrews chapter 11. And so the tension of the Bible story mounts as we're waiting for the time, the great moment of the denouement of this wonderful scheme, at which point Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the faithful of all the ages will be resurrected so that indeed they can come into possession of the land that God guaranteed them forever. The exciting thing about New Testament Christianity is this, that if we are Christians, if we align ourselves with Messiah, 
and learn his teachings and come under his influence and adopt his spirit, then indeed, as Paul said in Galatians 3.29, we become the seed of Abraham also. We are counted and reckoned as the legal descendants of Abraham, and therefore we come into possession eventually at the resurrection of the very same promises as were made to Abraham. And so you see, the story of the Bible is essentially simple. To Abraham were made the promises of the land forever. Jesus said that the meek are going to inherit the land or the earth. And when he made that statement in Matthew 5, verse 5, he was quoting precisely from Psalm 37, which guaranteed the Abrahamic promise of land to the faithful. Five times in that psalm, we learn that the faithful are going to be rewarded by gaining the inheritance of the land. In other words, they're going to receive what was promised to Abraham. Jesus reiterates that promise in Matthew 5, verse 5, and extends it to all of his Christian followers. You see, the confusing element in much Bible teaching is this notion that heaven, as a place removed from this earth, is the reward of the faithful. There's nothing about going to heaven in the Bible. The whole point of the Bible is that God has not finished with this planet. Certainly he's going to change things radically at the second coming. There'll be a lot of destruction. There'll be radical changes affecting society. But a new era of world peace is going to emerge beyond the terrible times of judgment. Those times of judgment are called in the Bible the day of the Lord. But beyond the day of the Lord comes the promised kingdom of God, the promised inheritance of the earth, the promised inheritance of the life of the age to come, somewhat inadequately translated in our Bibles as eternal life. That really should be the life of the age to come. It's based on the text in Daniel 12, verse 2, where those who are resurrected are going to partake in the life of the age, that well-known age. Jesus himself referred to that famous coming age in Luke 20, verse 35. Those who are accounted worthy to attain to the resurrection and that age, that's the future age of the inheritance of the kingdom of God, to be bestowed on the believers of all ages and all races and tongues, only when Christ comes back and not before. You see, judgment in terms of so-called heaven and hell, in the Bible really means judgment in terms of entrance into the kingdom of God or being thrown into the lake of fire and destroyed. These are the two destinies which Jesus puts before us, and he is deeply moved by the fact that humankind has only two choices, either to succeed and gain the destiny of immortality in the kingdom or to be tragic failures and to be ignominiously destroyed as the refuse of the earth. If you would like to pursue this issue of what we might call the Abrahamic connection with the gospel of Jesus Christ, his gospel about the kingdom, we invite you to request from us an article entitled The Promise to Abraham that he would be heir of the world. This will enable you to put these various texts together in a coherent and logical way and begin to understand the underlying story that binds the various passages of the Bible together in one coherent whole. The name of that article again is The Promise to Abraham That He Should Be Heir of the World. We'd like to send this to you free if you'll use the information to be given at the end of this program. Meanwhile, we've been turning our attention to those events which Jesus described 
as being the precursors of his future arrival in glory to set up the kingdom on the earth. In an extended discourse in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21, Jesus answered a critically important question put to him by his inner circle of disciples. The question they asked was this, What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Matthew 24, verse 3. They were looking at the temple buildings, then standing in Jerusalem, and Jesus announced that not one stone would remain on that temple site. And in response to that remark, the disciples said, When will these things happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the conclusion of the present age, of this evil age? In other words, how will we know when your second coming is near? Now, it remains a fact that Jesus has not returned after nearly 2,000 years. But the signs that he gave of his second coming should be remembered in every generation until that final event, the second coming of Jesus, is fulfilled. So what did Jesus say in regard to the countdown which would lead to his splendid arrival in glory to inaugurate his kingdom of God on the earth? Jesus spoke generally of wars and rumors of wars, even of famines and earthquakes and so on, But when he got to Matthew 24, verse 14, or rather, when he got to that passage which has now been recorded for us by Matthew, and what we call Matthew 24, verse 14, Jesus said this, This gospel about the kingdom, and I call your attention to that label for the gospel, this Christian gospel, i.e. the gospel about the kingdom, the gospel we all recognize as being the gospel which Jesus preached and as being the foundation of the Christian faith, this gospel about the kingdom will be heralded in the whole world to all the nations and then the end will come. Here Jesus begins to describe in detail the end about which the disciples had asked in the earlier question. When you therefore see, Jesus went on to say, the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel standing in the holy place or the temple, then flee to the hills. It's going to be hard for pregnant women. It's going to be hard for women with babies at that time. It's going to be hard if your flight has to be in the winter, and so on. Because at that time, he continued with the discourse in verse 21, at that time, that time triggered by the appearance of the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, at that time, great tribulation will follow. It will be a period of tribulation unprecedented from the beginning of the world, and it will never be repeated with the same intensity. I'm paraphrasing there the discourse of Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 and onwards. Now, after that great tribulation period, here's what's going to happen. But we notice carefully the time markers by which Jesus explained the events leading up to his second coming. In verse 29 of Matthew 24, Jesus said, Immediately after the tribulation of those days. I call your attention to that word, immediately after. There's absolutely no gap between the end of the great tribulation described by Jesus in verse 21 and following. Absolutely no gap between the end of that tribulation, the tribulation of those days, and what follows immediately. And what follows immediately on that tribulation is the darkening of the sun and so on, cosmic disturbances, and then we read that they will see the Son of Man coming 
in power and glory, at which point in the story the angels will gather the elect from the four corners of the earth. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob will be resurrected, of course. I'm adding that, but that's implied from other passages. All of the faithful will be resurrected, gathered together, and they will take their places in the first stage of the kingdom of God, the thousand-year reign with the Messiah, as rulers and co-administrators with him in that first stage of the kingdom of God, the millennial kingdom described in Revelation 20, verses 1 to 6. Let's summarize our findings for a moment. In Matthew 24, Jesus gives a connected discourse in answer to the question of the disciples, when will the temple be attacked and what will be the sign of your coming in power and glory and the establishment of the kingdom of God on the earth? In answer, Jesus appeals to the book of Daniel as the base and the foundation of his discourse. What Jesus is doing in Matthew 24, in fact, is an expansion and exploration and explanation of the book of Daniel, particularly the prophecy chapters in Daniel. Jesus outlines the future as he sees it on the basis of a scheme already given by God through inspiration to Daniel in the 6th century B.C. That scheme is essentially simple. There will be an attack on Jerusalem by what is called the abomination of desolation. There will be a terrible time of tribulation, and immediately after that, cosmic disturbances will occur in the sky, and Christ will return in power and glory, gather his elect together, and set up the kingdom. That's all we have time for for today. We invite you to contact us for the free literature we mentioned earlier. Check our findings carefully in your own Bible at home. Join us again for our continued discussion of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.